Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 319 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, despite plenty of resources, the U.S. is way behind the U.K. and other countries when it comes to identifying dangerous new variants of the coronavirus. And that has serious implications for fighting the pandemic. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. Sanofi made an unusual deal to produce millions of doses of the Pfizer and BioNTech coronavirus vaccine. The French drug maker said in a statement today it will give BioNTech access to a production facility in Frankfurt, which will start to deliver doses this summer. The deal will produce more than 125 million doses for the European Union. Sanofi's own effort to develop a COVID vaccine has stumbled. The deal with BioNTech allows Europe to make up for some of the loss. The pact also raised hopes that more pharma giants would throw their manufacturing and distribution weight behind the few coronavirus shots that have proved effective. A standoff between the EU and drug maker AstraZeneca over vaccine delivery delays turned from bitter to chaotic on Wednesday, with the two sides disagreeing over whether a call to discuss drug delivery would take place. Later, both confirmed that talks will in fact resume as planned. It was just the latest in a series of clashes between the EU and the drug maker. Finally, the Biden administration said it intends to increase orders for the two approved vaccines by 50%. The U.S. government will order 100 million more doses each of Pfizer and Moderna's coronavirus vaccines. It will also speed up shipments to states, at least temporarily. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
And now for today's main story. The U.S. is struggling to monitor COVID-19 variants, a key part of watching for the emergence of dangerous mutations that might spread quickly, evade vaccines, or kill more infected people. Currently, the U.S. ranks 32nd in the world for the number of tests it's done to detect mutations per 1,000 COVID cases. I spoke to health reporter Kristen V. Brown, who reports that other countries, like the UK, have established robust nationwide surveillance programs to identify new COVID genomes and track the spread of existing ones. The emergence of specific variants of COVID-19 have been known for a while now. And obviously, scientists always knew they were a possibility. But let's talk a bit about what mutations of viruses can do. How do they impact how infectious a virus is? And, you know, the big question, will they impact the efficacy of a COVID-19 vaccine? So, Viruses mutate. It's just something that viruses do. You know, that's why the flu vaccine is a different shot every year. So it might seem like a kind of arcane thing, right? Why does this variant that is just a little bit different from another version of COVID-19 matter? But it actually could potentially matter a lot depending on what the mutation in the virus is. So the current mutations that Hobbes scientists concerned have to do with the way the virus actually gets into a person's body. And that is why they believe that these variants might be more contagious. But that could also potentially interfere with therapies that are being developed um, or vaccines, right? Uh, There's a big question right now about whether these emerging variants might interfere with the efficacy of the vaccines that we're developing. And so, you know, what has specifically the U.S. been doing to track, identify, or even sequence these known variants of COVID-19? So you brought up sequencing. Uh, How you detect these variants is through genetic sequencing, right? You have to be taking samples from patients and, you know, running them through this machine that can decode the virus's genome and tell you, okay, is this virus significantly different from other ones that we know are commonly circulating in the population. So the UK and many other countries have established really, really robust genetic surveillance programs to sort of be on the hunt for this. The US does have a program, but it is not as robust as many other nations At the time that we're talking, the U.S., I believe, ranks 32nd in the world for the number of sequences it's completing per 1,000 COVID cases. And that's behind, you know, countries like the U.K. and Iceland that are really known for their genomic capabilities. But it's also behind countries that you don't really think of as leaders in that space, like Latvia and Senegal. And so, you know, we know that about 200,000 people in the U.S. are testing positive for COVID-19 every single week. But are these tests being used to track or, as you mentioned, sequence these COVID variants? This week, the CDC told me that the U.S. is sequencing about 3,000 COVID-19 samples every week. 
To put things in perspective, right now the UK is sequencing about 10% of its COVID cases, and that number, that 3,000 number, puts the US at less than 0.5%. So we are not sequencing very much of the virus at all. And I mean, scientists have said that this effectively leaves us flying blind. We do not know what mutations of the virus might be out there that pose a threat to to us and to our pandemic response. I mean, is this something that we're seeing in the U.S. because of, say, a lack of interest on the federal level? What's some of the reasons here that the U.S. is is so lagging in this regard? It's kind of complicated why the U.S. has not had a robust sequencing program. So like many things in this pandemic, the nature of our country has made this a bit more complicated, right? We have 50 different states. Things happen at federal level, at state level, at local level. And that's what we've we've seen with sequencing efforts. It's happening at a constellation of public labs, of private labs, of academic labs. And there's not really a national program that connects all these things. So if you're a lab that wants to contribute to this effort, you have to figure out how do you get patient samples? You know, Scripps Research Institute, for example, they told me that they were able to get their program to do this work up and running because they already had a good relationship with the local health authorities, with the San Diego County. So it's a little bit of serendipity that has allowed these operations to to get up and running. And the lack of a national program that sets up protocols like where do you get the samples? How do you uh, – what format does the data come in? All of that has made it harder to have a robust national effort in the U.S. And as we see the the first days of the Biden administration, is this something that the administration has prioritized that we'll be seeing more sequencing going forward? So the Biden administration has said that it plans to prioritize this. It plans to up the number of samples that are getting sequenced every week. But we haven't seen any concrete plans discussed yet, and I think it's going to be a really big challenge because, as I mentioned, it is a constellation of efforts that are public, private, local, uh, statewide that are doing this sequencing, and you have to figure out a system that can connect all of those things, and that will be a kind of gargantuan task. What are some of the additional benefits or the importance to this genetic sequencing? I mean, specifically for other diseases beyond COVID-19. One thing that this pandemic has shown that I think is actually really sort of awesome is that sequencing can be a really powerful tool, right? We saw very early in the pandemic, I believe it was in January, we saw the first full genome of this virus published that allowed us to very quickly demonstrate how this virus had moved around the world, you know, what countries it had traveled from. And that allowed us to create policies that helped make our response more more intelligent and more efficient, right? And I think that going forward, that same idea can be applied to many things. It can help us more intelligently respond to superbugs It could help us respond to other future emerging zoonotic threats like COVID-19. It can help us to detect 
people are concerned about bioterror. It could help us detect potential bioterror threats too. So, I mean, this technology is is really important and has great potential to help us respond to future threats to our national security. That was Kristen V. Brown. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Kristen V. Brown. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.